and say, is, is that mine yet? And so I pray that that song provokes us in all the right ways as a church to surrender everything, to take a look at the, at the idols of last year that our hearts have made, to look at the things we have that, that get so much value and, and give us some sort of sense of worth, but to surrender all, to take our time and say it's yours because you've given it to us as a gift. I just pray that you would keep shaping us. I pray that when we sing to you, that it wouldn't just be because that's the song we're singing right now, but it would cause us to think about who you are, that these, these songs would teach us things, and that they would shape us. That we couldn't just walk out saying, I sang a little bit. And so now, Father, we want that same attitude to apply to your word. We want it to shape us. We want it to provoke us. We want it to encourage us. And we'll even take rebuke. We want to be ready to surrender all. Father, um, bless this time we have in your word. And bless our time in communion in the Lord's Supper that follows. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I do hope that worship is difficult for you sometimes, you know, and that you're singing and you're like, oh, can I really say that honestly, you know? Because you're not singing for the worship team, you know, it's not like you're doing it for them. They're not the choir director. I mean, this is you're singing for the Lord, and so you're saying this stuff to Him, and I'm like, whoa, I just... That's just one of those songs that hopefully it rubs you in all sorts of interesting ways. You know, like, oh, I kind of hurt. That was a little abrasive. That kind of pointed at some things. I, I hope that you feel that when you sing. So, all right. So there's a story told of a woman who uh, went grocery shopping, bought all of her groceries, went into the parking lot with her cart right beside the car, and she discovered to her dismay that the car was locked on her. And she had no keys. The keys were in the ignition where she had left them. And she started to panic. She's a ways from home. And so she just prayed. She just prayed, God, would you please get me into my car? And, and, and so she prayed. And uh, she kind of looked around and, and at the parking lot. She found a, a rusty old clothes hanger, right? And she's like, oh, I can do this. I, I've seen guys do this. So she she got the clothes hanger out, you know, and started to poke it into the window, and, and she was trying to get that, and, and, and it wasn't working. It just wasn't working. She pulled the clothes hanger out, and she's praying, God, I can't do this on my own. Would you send somebody to help me? Within a few minutes, in, per, in uh, comes this, this burly motorcycle guy, okay, on, on, on his Harley, and, and he's got the beard, the bandana, the leathers, a big guy, you know, and he gets off the motorcycle and asks her if she's having a hard time with it. Oh, yeah, I can't get into my car. And she's thinking to herself, God, this is not who I ordered. I, I, didn't, I didn't want this guy, you know. I wanted someone to help me, but is this, is this guy from you? Did you really do this? And so she's like, okay, I'm just going to go with it. And she tells him, I can't get into my, my car. 
And so uh, he takes the, the coat hanger. So I, I can help with that. In less than 60 seconds, she's into her car. Life is good. And she's like, oh, thank you, thank you. You are a wonderful man. You're so kind. And he said, actually, I'm not very kind at all. Last week, I just got out of prison for car theft. And she said, Lord, you even sent a professional. (laughs) Yes, right? (laughs) So, uh, we need to be a people of prayer. Not just in the emergencies, but at all times. And, and there are times, like I said earlier, where we enter into a new, a new year, kind of a new phase in, in the church's life, and we, and we mark those years. This is a good time to say, God, we, we want you to bless this year. We don't want to be doing things just to do them. We want to do the things that you're telling us to do. We want to see your blessing on what we're doing. We're not saying, here's our plans, Lord, please bless them. But hopefully we're saying, God, give us wisdom. Give us direction. Help us do the right things. And then may we see your blessing on it. Father, may we see where you're working and join you in it. Hopefully we're praying these kinds of prayers. This morning, what I want to do is, uh, next month we're kicking off a new series in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Okay? Now in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches people, Jesus teaches disciples how to pray. So what I wanted to do is take that passage, a very familiar one probably to most of you, and look at it briefly and, and challenge ourselves, is this how we pray? Is this the way we pray? So would you turn to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6. Um, we'll start in verse 5. Matthew 6, 5 says... And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So Jesus starts in this teaching on prayer by saying, I don't want you to pray like hypocrites do. I don't want you to pray in this public, showy, many words kind of way. Now, I don't believe for a moment Jesus is forbidding uh, prayer meetings. Uh, I would be in violation of this every week, you know, praying in public up here. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about praying in a way where it's really about you being seen and heard, about you looking spiritual. Now, I kind of doubt that many of you find yourselves in this situation, you know, where, 
where you're praying publicly a lot and you're doing it just to be heard. It's probably a lot less common today than back then, but I still think there's a really good point here. I think there's really something to get at here. I know a lot of people that don't like praying out loud, they don't like praying in public because they don't want their words to be heard, and I think there's still something there for you as well because it's still all about the heart. It's still all about you talking to him. And so that's why Jesus says, if you go in private and close your door and no one sees you when you pray, then the only person that's seeing you is God. And so you, we would have to believe that there is a God and he is going to answer your prayers. He is going to work on your behalf. If you're going into a private place where no one can see you, it's just you and him. You could do lots of things when you're in the privacy of your home, but when you pray, you show that you believe that he exists and that he cares and that he, he, he wants to answer you, and you want to commune with him. You want a relationship with him. This is good. And so I know, and I, and I talk to enough people that say I don't like to be listened to when I pray, and I understand that feeling. I, I've prayed in front of people that are just amazing prayers. Is that, is that a word, prayers? Uh, and, I mean, people that can just pray the Scripture, and, and, and they pray these deep things, and I'm thinking, I wish my mind went in those directions all the time, but I don't always get there. And so I felt that, you know, kind of kind of like, I, I'm not worthy. <laughs> but it's never about being worthy, and it's never about finding all those beautiful words. And sometimes I feel like I do find the words, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I just said that, you know. Um, but it's not about finding those words. It's always been about talking to your Father. That's why it's our Father which art in heaven. So... For those of you that do feel that, that thing in you about praying out loud in certain contexts, remember this. If you could tune all else out and just talk to him, do that. You know, you know how speakers are. You know, they, they tell you in your speech class when you preach and when you teach or when you speak, you picture everybody in their underwear, you know, and you feel better. Uh, this is like one of those, but a lot better. You know, it's that I'm just talking to him. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking. If you don't like what I said, okay, but I'm talking to him. And I hope that might encourage you a little bit. Now, I'm sure for some of you, maybe it does become an outward thing and you just want people to hear you. Uh, l- let me say it like this. This is a good heart check. We don't stand on street corners praying, otherwise they try to put you in the mental hospital. But um, let's ask this then. Do you pray more in public prayer meetings or small group meetings than you do privately. That would be a good indication of where your heart is at. If you say, I do most of my praying meeting with other Christians, that's awesome that you do pray with other Christians. That's amazing. But if you don't have these private times, there's the issue. And I think maybe that's a modern counterpart to the Pharisee that stands in the street corner, the hypocrite that prays out loud. And then he says, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like them because they use lots of words. If you think you need lots of words to coerce God, if you think you say it in a beautiful enough way that somehow he'll do more, well, that's just messed up. Because uh, I'm often called on to pray in settings that are public, like funerals. And so if I'm at a funeral and I'm praying and I find all the right words and you're like, that's a beautiful prayer, it could be a beautiful prayer, but it's no more effective than the person that says, God help us, we're really sad right now. You know, 
It's, God's not going, well, I liked his better because he used more words. And I will use more words. You know, that's, that's kind of what I do, but it, it's not more effective. That's a pagan idea, Jesus says. The pagans would do that. Give you more words and then we'll get what we want. We'll sound more spiritual. What's wrong with just saying, God, help me? And it's not like God's going, help you with what? Oh, you mean the sorrow in your heart? I didn't notice that. Uh, that would ne- he would never say that, you know? So when you say, God, help me, I think he knows exactly what you mean. If you know what you mean, he knows what you mean. So let's not fall into that trap either. And here's where I want to spend the bulk of my time, uh, limited though it is. I want to talk about the Lord's Prayer, Okay. Some have noted, rightly so, that Jesus never actually prayed this prayer because he never had to ask for forgiveness for himself, right? But it's the model for how we pray. And and I'm not saying that it's this thing that we're supposed to say every day. In other words, if you look at verse 9, this then is how you should pray. I think the word how is important. This is how you should pray. It's not what you should pray. It's good to pray this prayer occasionally and in group settings and privately. It's fine. But it's more of a model of how to pray as opposed to like verbatim what I'm supposed to pray every day. So, our Father in Heaven's how it starts. And if that doesn't, you know, I'm not saying I know why, I'm not saying I know Jesus said this for this reason, but your Father in Heaven that phrase doesn't ask for anything, and yet it gives you a reason to pray, doesn't it? In the Old Testament, they very rarely even compared God to Father. I think it happens about 15 times in the Old Testament where God is called Father, and usually it's Father of the Israelite nation. You know, usually it's like that kind of thing. And yet Jesus wants us to consider God because He is our Father. It's a relationship. Why do I pray? If God already knows what I need, why do I pray? Because if he's like your dad, you would talk to your dad. You would ask your dad for, I've asked my dad for things. I've asked him for help. I've asked him for advice. I talk to him just to talk to him, just to hear his voice. And hopefully it's all that and more why you would talk to your father in heaven. You talk just to talk to him. You talk to ask him things. You talk to make sure there's this, there's this clear relationship between you and he. It's your father. And I hope you appreciate that Old Testament, you don't see this as clearly. New Testament, you see it very clearly. This is like a parent-child relationship. That's how you go in prayer to your dad, our father in heaven. Now, following that, there are six petitions. Some say seven. I'll treat them like six. And I want to go through each of these, and here's what I want to do. As we come to each, you have notes in front of you. You can jot down things that that occur to you or that you hear uh, or jot down nothing. But I just want to walk through this prayer and hopefully challenge you in an area where maybe you don't always pray. Six petitions, six prayer requests here. And, And there's probably at least one or two that you're not praying for regularly, but Jesus is telling you to pray for this regularly, so let's look at it. Number one, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. 
To hallow something is to make it holy. Holiness means to be set apart, different. There's God, there's human beings. We're different. We're not the same. God took on flesh and became like us, but but He's always going to be holy. He's always going to be set apart. The angels proclaim, holy, holy, holy in heaven. that's, That's the most holy you can be. There's nothing like Him. There's nothing like Him. And so we're saying, God, would you take your name, which represents who you are, we know it from the Old Testament as Yahweh. By the way, that's our best pronunciation guess that we have. We have the Y-H-W-H, but we don't have the vowels, so we don't, you know, we, we think it's Yahweh. It's the one who told Moses, I am who I am. Tell him I am sent you. He just is. He's just there. He's just God. Period. He's Yahweh. He is. And And he's saying, Jesus says, I want you to pray that God hallows his name. That God causes his name to be holy. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you make God's name more holy? Could could, could God make his own name more holy? I don't think you can take someone who is holiness. Like, that's who God is. You know, holiness is more than an attribute. It's like actually who he is. God is love, and God is holy. That's who he is. He's different. How do you make someone more holy? You don't. So when you pray this, you must mean, God, may people on earth treat you as holy. May people on earth hallow your name to treat you as different than anyone else. Remember Moses uh, in the wilderness he is, uh, the people are complaining about no water again. And God says, I want you to speak to the rock. And Moses doesn't speak to the rock. He strikes it instead. Now, he did that before. There was another time where he struck the rock like God told him to. But this time, God said, speak to the rock. And Moses struck the rock. And he says, he said to the Israelites before he did it, shall we bring water out of this rock, you rebels? You know, like he's doing it. Like he's the man, and he strikes the rock. And God says, because you did that, because you didn't treat me as holy, you're not entering the promised land. A harsh penalty for a guy who was a friend of God, who saw God face to face, you know, called the most humble man on earth at the time, right? Moses, and he didn't treat God holy. He didn't treat God like God is different. He treated God like, I, I don't know what. Like, he, like, But whatever he did, he didn't say, God, I'll do your commands exactly the way you tell me to do them. Instead he said, I'm ticked off at these people. They drive me crazy. They've been driving me crazy for 40 years. And I'm at the end of my patience with them. Ever been there? I'm at the end of my line here. And he just kind of let loose. And he didn't treat God as holy. When we say, hallowed be your name, we are saying, God, would you please help people on this planet to treat your name as holy, to treat you as holy, to come to a knowledge of who you are, how amazing you are, so that they might give you their life, give you their faith, and then they might live a life of obedience, that they might hallow your name by living the way you call them to live. You know? It's not just about his name, because his name represents who he is, right? We sang 
El Shaddai and those other things earlier. His name represents who he is, Emmanuel, God with us. It's who he is. But even his name, you know we live in a culture where even his name is not hallowed very much. How often will you hear Jesus Christ's name used as a swear word? A lot, probably. If you're out in the world living, working, breathing, you're going to hear it. My favorite, though, I don't know if I've said this in this in this church before, but my favorite is uh, there was a worship leader in Watoma, and uh, she worked at a at a gas station, and she would hear people use Jesus' name as a curse word, and whenever she heard that, she would say to them, "King of Kings and Lord of Lords." That was her go-to comeback, and I love that because. It's not judgmental, like, how dare you use Jesus' name in vain? You're going to hell, you dirty sinner, you know. It's not one of those things. It's like, do you know who you're talking about? This person I love? His name is Hallowed. And I want to treat it as holy. And I can't just listen to you say it and not cringe a bit. It's his name. When we ask to hallow his name... We're saying, God, would you show more and more people how amazing and good and powerful and holy you are. To go on, number two, your kingdom come, and we'll stop right there. Now, I always kind of like this. I like to put together your kingdom come, your will be done, right? I like to put those together. They kind of flow together. They're poetic. But just taking one, your kingdom come. Jesus brought the kingdom, right? When we talk about the kingdom of God, what we mean is God's sovereign reign both here and in heaven. God in all of his power ruling. It starts in your hearts. It starts when you bow the knee to God and say, I'll do things your way, not my way. I'll believe in you. I'll worship you. I'll follow you. Okay? Your kingdom come. Now, when Jesus came onto the scene, he preached the message of the kingdom. Repent for the what is near. The kingdom of God is near. Like that was his, like, a, like the first thing out of his mouth. The kingdom of God is near. We know that with the kingdom came healings, demons being cast out, the blind seeing, the lame walking, sinners having their sins forgiven, the outcasts of society being accepted, the power of God was like just moving through Jesus. The gospel was being proclaimed, right? And that was the sign that the kingdom had come. Darkness was retreating. The kingdom had come. And yet, the kingdom hadn't fully come because if you look at other passages, when Paul talks about the kingdom, he says the kingdom's an inheritance. It's something that you're going to get later in fullness. And so we have this this tension, and uh, we talk about this sometimes, theologians do, uh, the already not yet. When Christ came, the kingdom came. We proclaim the kingdom, God's rule. And yet, it's not all the way here yet, is it? Because one day Jesus will reign, we call that the millennium, his millennial reign on earth, and his kingdom will be present. One day we'll be in, with him forever in eternity in paradise. And the kingdom will be fully present. So when we say your kingdom come, 
I think what we're praying is, God, would you heal the sick? Would you cast out demons? Would you push back the darkness in the north woods? Would this be a place characterized by more and more light? Would the gospel go out so that people respond and get saved? Would the message of the kingdom keep advancing? We're praying those kind of things. We're also praying, I think, Jesus, come quickly. Come back. Inaugurate the, he inaugurated the kingdom, but bring your kingdom back in fullness. We're praying for that when we pray your kingdom come. Now we're ready to look at your will be done. Okay? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray this prayer, you're praying that the things God is doing in heaven would happen the same way on earth, that his will would be done. Now, when you look at the word will, you should be thinking two things. You should be thinking about the things God wants you to do, his commands. You know, be, be thankful in all circumstances, but this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be thankful. It's God's will for you. Be sanctified. It's God's will for you. You look at the Bible and you see like these commands and it says, this is God's will. So what we want is for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in our obedience. Does anybody in heaven ask themselves, how can I obey better? I don't think that probably comes up very much. I don't think you're in heaven going, um, how am I going to work out my relationship with my spouse? I'm really in a hole here, and I, I just want to, I want to jump out, and what do I do? What do I, I don't think people say, what do I do in heaven? Because they know what they're supposed to do. They know what God's will is, and they do it. There's none of these ethical dilemmas in heaven. You know what I mean? There's none of those, well, should it be A, B, or C? Which one seems more righteous? I'm really struggling here. There's none of that stuff. Because his will is done perfectly there. So we want to be like that here. Show me how to be righteous. Show me how to act in a righteous way. Show me what the right thing is to do here. God, I have choices A, B, and C. And I know one of them is probably a lot more wise than the others. But I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So show me which one it is. Which one would I do if I was in heaven right now? See, that is a pretty cool prayer when you don't know what you should do. The other thing you should think about with will is uh, God's sovereign will, what he wants to accomplish, his purposes on earth. You would pray, God, may the things that happen down here on earth be your plans. I think this is when you pray God's promises. God, you want to save people. God, may your will be done in so-and-so's life. I want them to know you. Please save them. Reveal yourself to them. God, please be near this person and walk with them. I know that you walk with the brokenhearted. Would you do that, God? And we know God wants to do it. That's his will to be with us when we're going through hard times, right? So we pray these things. It's God's plans for history. Your will be done. So uh, I hope that when you pray that, you you think of will in a couple different ways. Uh, That is, the things that we do to obey and the, the things that God is doing according to his will. Now, pause for a second. We're about to transition to the last three, and we'll do them briefly, but, but the last three are requests for us.
the first three are requests about God, right? Hallow your name, Father. It's all about you. Uh, your kingdom come. So here, here's, here's a challenge. Do you find yourself mostly praying for yourself, or do you find yourself praying for God's purposes in your life, in the world, in the Northwoods? Because I'm not saying it has to be 50-50 and we have to be like, okay, make sure I'm half and half here, but just to note, half of the Lord's prayer is, God, do your thing. Do amazing things. Hallow your name. May more people know how amazing you are. Send the kingdom. And the other half of the prayer is, I'm in desperate need. Please help me. <laughs> okay? So, so half of it is, is very God, your purposes, God-centered, and half of it is, God, I need you. It's more me-centered. It's probably a good ratio for your prayers. And you might be getting out of whack if you find that you're mostly just praying about needs that you see. Not that you shouldn't pray about those things, but add God's purposes to your prayers. Okay, the last three. Here we go. Uh, give us today our daily bread. Have any of you ever prayed this in your entire life for real? I, I, I am curious. Have any of you ever prayed, God, I don't know what I'm going to eat today or tomorrow. I need some daily bread. I really don't know what I'm going to eat. I imagine the majority of you have never had to pray that prayer. Because we don't live in a culture that's like, I'm working today, at the end of the day I'm going to get paid, and that means I get to buy my daily bread tomorrow. You know? You think about it. If you get sick and you don't go to work today, there's no, there's no sick days here. You're just not getting paid. And how are you going to eat tomorrow? I hope you saved something. Because tomorrow's coming and you need your bread. A bread refers to food. Not, not, not just literally baked bread, even though I love bread. Uh, it refers to food in general. And this is a, definitely a request of, please help me, I need you right now, God. I need to be able to eat tomorrow. It's not a prayer for the lazy, God, I don't want to work for this, just send the bread. It's not one of those prayers. It's, God, I want to work, I want to do my part, but there's a part I can't control. I can't control my health. We all can amen that right now at this time of the year. I can't control my health. I can't control whether I can actually go to work. I can't control how strong I am to work hard. I can't control my intelligence. There's a lot of things I can't control. But God, you can. Help me work. Help me earn my daily bread. Please give that to me. Uh, if you want to back up and, and, and pray about it in a very American way, you're going to, probably going to be praying for this in the sense of, help me do my work well. Help me provide for my family. Help me find a job so I can provide for my family. We need our daily bread. You might also say this is a request where you pray for needs and not greeds. Uh, there's no call for praying for the things that are luxuries. We're called to pray for the things we absolutely need. And we do have a lot of needs, and we do pray for those. I won't belabor the point there, but you know what I'm talking about. We pray for our needs. Number five. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I sat down with a man once who um, spoke about his childhood. He was a man in his uh, late 50s. Talked about his childhood on the streets of Chicago and the abusive men his mother had in her household and these men that he hated. 
And he said, I haven't forgiven them yet for what they did to me, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to get closer to it. And I know that not everybody we forgive instantly, because it probably wouldn't be real anyway if you tried to forgive them instantly for the depth of the hurt. But the prayer here is that when you ask God to forgive you your debts, and debts is a money term, right? It's what we owe God. I sinned. I owe this holy God. I broke his commands. There's a reminder every time we ask forgiveness, are we forgiving people? Will we forgive people their sins and their offenses against us? I was just reminded of one the other day, uh, something that someone did, someone that made a promise to me uh, 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 for, for pretty much like a payment sort of thing. I'll do this if you give me that. And uh, they just didn't come through with their end of it, just, just didn't do it. A Christian person. And uh, asked them about it a few times later. They didn't do anything about it. It was pretty much just like, forget it. We're not, we're not going to pay you for this work. Forget it. Um, if, you, if you think that those sins that people have done to you are worse than your sins before God, there's probably an issue here. Now, now, now I know some sin is deeper and more damaging, and that man who spoke to me that day was talking about real abuse. And I've never abused God, nor could I. But I've offended a perfectly holy God. And if I treat other people's sins as worse than my sins to God, there's an issue there. There's a heart issue there. If I expect God to forgive me for the sins that I do every single day, how much more do I need to forgive the people that have sinned against me? There's a challenge there. And and I think when Jesus says, God won't forgive you if you don't forgive other people, I, I don't think that that means you earn God's forgiveness. It can't mean that. It's not like, I forgave you, now now I get God's forgiveness. That, that would be like an earning thing. That would be like works. We don't do that. Forgiveness is free. But can you say that you really know God's forgiveness if you can't forgive other people? Do you really know what that is if you can't give it to somebody else? Do you know what that gift looks like if you can't also give that gift? I imagine maybe you don't know what it looks like if you harbor those that unforgiveness over a long period of time. Yes, like that man in my office, you're probably going to have to work through some things. But I hope you see yourself as in process. I'm getting there. I'm working on that. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but I will forgive that person. And finally, the hardest one. The hardest one uh, to interpret. Let's do it. Uh, I have about four minutes. Here we go. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so uh, God doesn't tempt. That's what James 1 says, right? James also says, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. The word temptation can mean trials, like hard things you go through, or temptations. And And I distinctly remember sitting in a theology class for Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and I asked the professor, what in the world does it mean to say, don't lead us into temptation, because God doesn't tempt us? And he always provides a way out, and if we're talking about trials, 
we're supposed to consider, consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. So what does it mean? And he said, I'm not sure. Now, when your theology professor says, I'm not sure, that either means he doesn't know very much, which I don't think is true, or it means he's humble enough to say, I haven't processed that one yet. And I think he was humble enough to say, I just haven't worked through that yet in my own life. Here's my thinking on it. This is just me. This is just me working through it in my own brain. If it's lead us not into trials, that's an okay prayer to pray. Because Paul says to Timothy, pray for your leaders so that we might live peaceful lives in godliness. It's okay to pray for peace, knowing that sometimes God will take you through times of turmoil. He's going to do that, but it's okay to pray for times of peace. So it's okay to pray, don't lead us into trial, but deliver us from the evil one. And here's where, here's where my mind goes even more strongly. If this is one request and not two, don't lead us into temptation, deliver us from the devil or the evil one. If that's two sides of the same coin, then I'm probably saying, God, help me not get into a situation where I am tempted or tried in such a way that I fall. That I fall. Deliver me. Delivering has the sense of, I'm in a bad place. I'm in bondage. I'm, I'm, I'm all tied up here, and I, I want you to deliver me from Satan. And, and if this is what I am, and this is what I need, then it seems like I'm praying, God, I know I'm going to be tempted, but please keep me from those areas that are just going to wreck me. Keep me from Satan sifting me as wheat. Remember that one that Jesus prayed for Peter? I think we're praying something like that. And we're recognizing that there's forces of darkness that are assaulting us, and we desperately need God's help. And whether you say, God, here's the temptation, or whether you just say, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, he knows exactly what you're saying. And he will deliver because he can keep you standing according to the scripture. He's able to make you stand. And he provides a way out of temptation so you can stand up under it. There's always a way. This is a prayer you pray. So, I hope that looking at this, there's a challenge. Uh, Let me give you just 30 seconds. Would you look at the Lord's Prayer in front of you real quick and say, God, where are you challenging me to pray more of? (laughs) What part of this prayer provokes me a little bit or or pushes me a little bit? Would you just take a few seconds and think about that? And then I'll close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I am challenged in my own life to pray for your kingdom, to see the outbreaking of you working in in more powerful ways. So I pray that your kingdom would come. 
I pray that we'd see you're moving here in the Northwoods, here in this church, that we'd see lost people give their lives to you, that we'd see people who are spiritually oppressed, that feel like they're in dark, the darkness of addiction, the darkness of sin, that we'd see that being broken and that you would deliver them. May we see you do great and mighty things this year. May we see it and may we give you glory for it. May we recognize it and and not in the least take any credit for it, but to say God did this. His kingdom is breaking forth. And for whatever else this church is encouraged to pray, I pray you'd help them do it. Please help us do it well. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to end with communion this morning. And then after that, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and be dismissed. If I could have the ushers come up and prepare to serve communion. Matthew 26, 26 says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you're forgiven, if you've prayed that prayer, forgive me my debts, if you've done that, then this table is open to you.